All right. Today we've got June Ritterbush. June, thanks so much for making the time. Well, thank you for having me. All right. First question, same as always. Uh, refresh your memory. What were you doing before you went to NCAD and what have you been up to for the last 20 years? So prior to NCAD, I was in the U.S. Army for 10 years. I was very fortunate. I was stationed in places like Germany, Italy, Korea, and I spent a little bit of time stateside in Virginia and Texas. Uh, while I was in the military, I participated quite a bit in uh, maintenance and logistics, and I also was trained as a helicopter pl pilot. I flew UH-1 helicopters and UH-60s. So wow. I so so you, you, you enlisted or you did like an ROTC thing Oh, I did in, ROTC in college. at Boston University. And when I was at university, uh, I, had, I had, was in an accelerated program, so I actually earned a bachelor's and master's degree in economics from Boston University before I went into the military. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I, I remember you know, being an American as well and going to a somewhat liberal university. There was an interesting dynamic with the ROTC students and sort of everybody else. What, can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, because I was um, in ROTC during Desert Storm, and there was quite a bit of pressure on us. to. We definitely could not be at any um, – so there was lots of demonstrations in Boston at the time during Desert Storms uh, against the government's actions. And we were um, warned not to hang out too much at those kinds of demonstrations and absolutely forbidden to show up in uniform for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And you, so you went to the army and you spent 10 years in the army before, before going to, to NCAD. Yeah, I was having fun. And then, um, in the military at the time, you had to stick around for 20 years to get to retirement benefits. And I just really couldn't see myself doing it for another 10 years. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I had always really wanted to get an MBA. So, um, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Boston and I always really wanted to go to Harvard and I hadn't gotten in undergrad. I was convinced that this was going to be my great opportunity. Um, and it, it didn't work out. I didn't get into Harvard, but I was really glad because I'd spent time in Europe. I knew about uh, INSEAD and IMD and I was very lucky that I was accepted at INSEAD. And I mean, I loved it. I had spent years in Germany and Italy. So going to France for you was easy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. So now you're, uh, you, you finished in Seattle. What, what, what have you been doing for the last 20 years? So what I did was after I left, I returned to Texas. My husband had his own business. So at first I was helping him and then it came time for me to start my own business. And that's all I wanted to do was start my own business. But the hard part is trying to figure out what it's going to be. I ended up starting a winery here in Texas. I was inspired because in the news at the time, uh, Texas has uh, is dry, which means a lot of places couldn't sell alcohol at the time. And they had made an exception to that policy in 2003 that if you sold wine made from Texas grapes, then you were exempt from that rule. And that was right when I was sitting around trying to decide what to do. And you know how it is. Like, you drink a glass of wine, you have a great idea. You drink another glass of wine, you're like, oh, this is a really good idea. And <laughs> I just joke that I never stopped drinking. What part of Texas was this? I'm in central Texas, about an hour north of Austin, and oh, about wow. two hours south of Dallas. So this part of the country is uh, growing like crazy. Uh, if you know your geography, there's Dallas-Fort Worth is up in the north part. Austin-San Antonio is to the south. And then Houston is kind of to the east. And um, 
we are going, Texas is going to pass up California for being the largest state by population pretty soon. We're headed towards 40 million people. And I can't remember the number, but maybe 90% of the state falls into the triangle formed by those three metroplexes. Um, it's, it's an interesting time and place to be. So you, you were being somewhat opportunistic with the dry laws in Texas, but my understanding is those have since been repealed, right? So it's, it, Texas oh, absolutely. is, is um, uh-huh. that was what inspired me to, to do this is the town I'm in is a small touristy type town. And I, I was looking for something that would fit in with a tourism. And I could see at that point in 2003 that, um, there was going to be a lot of links between agriculture and tourism and wine is one of the best ways to link those together. And you're using Texas grapes still, or did that was just a short term thing to, to get around? Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't have a large vineyard. I have a small vineyard. Uh, We planted the vineyard in 2005 and we called it the test vineyard. We had uh, four different varieties planted. And after a year we said, Oh, okay. Test is over. Now it's the vineyard. (laughs) So originally I had planned to, uh, plants a lot more, but when I saw it, it's a lot of physical labor. I think sometimes we forget uh, agriculture is hard and it's hard work and not for a lot of money. Yeah, and, and very much a layman question. My understanding was that that kind of vines or what, whatever you call the things you planted don't really generate any fruit for like years or decades. It sounds oh, like you've I gotten something out of it. Dough. Everything's bigger, better, uh-huh. faster here. Maybe in California, <laughs> it takes you all five years. But I harvested uh-huh. great stuff. Uh, we planted those grapevines in 2005, and I had a small harvest in 2006. It wasn't the full potential of the vineyard, but, you know, here in Texas, we have a lot of sunshine, and we just love to do things better than Californians here in Texas. So, All right. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to bite at, at any of those, uh, those uh, microaggressions. Um, but... Uh, and what kind of scale are we talking about here? Like, how do you measure it in acres or bottles or cases or? Yeah. So I have a one acre vineyard, which if I, for our friends who are outside the United States, I think that's about a half of a hectic, 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 I can't even pronounce it properly. Uh, and I usually produce a couple tons of grapes a year, which is fine. Couple. I'm a small winery. I'm making about 2,500 gallons a year. And it's all, it's all for your own use, or are you selling some of your grapes to other vineyards? I am using all of my grapes, but, and, and I'm also buying grapes from other folks in the area. But in, in all Texas grapes, to, to be consistent with, with the original plan. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Talk a little bit about what it's like trying to get this kind of a business off the ground. You know, this, this is sort of a, a – I'm guessing there's a little bit more art than science to the actual making of the wine and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's lots of science involved. I took some winemaking classes on the side when I first started the business. Uh, lots and lots of science. I think the art is trying to get whatever grapes you've got into a great product. Um, and then the art for me as well is creating, engaging products or figuring out how to engage people. I'm in a little bit of a touristy area. So there were um, several beds, bed and breakfasts in my area when I started out and a, and a large retail area that people would stroll and shop. That's, uh, I opened in 2005. It took a while to get through all the regulations. Um, but once we were open in 2005, we took off pretty quick. I was the only place in town where you could sit and drink a glass of wine and buy wine to take with you. Um, Oh, because it was a dry County. So if anybody wanted alcohol, you, you were the only, you were the only place. 
Yeah. And so at first people couldn't understand why I was exempt from the rules. And so um, people in town would say, you know, if someone was visiting, a tourist would say, oh, where can we go get a glass of wine? And they'd say, oh, go see June. I don't know how she's doing it, but you can go down there and see her. And people would literally stand in my door and go, is it legal? Can I really come in here? <laughs> um, once we, we were well past that hump now. Now there's several bars and uh, wineries in the area and people aren't hung up on dry versus wet like they were back then. When did the, the, the dry thing get, get uh, repealed? You know, it's, it's not been repealed statewide, but there's just so many people moving into the state of Texas. And really what happens is the large corporations, like HEB is a big grocery grocer here in Texas. And when they come to a community and say, sure, we'll build a grocery store, but not unless you allow us to sell alcohol. And so it's just been part of the change and that comes along with lots of people moving to this region and opening new businesses that um, it's still, it's still by electoral district though. So there's a lot of, nuances to the rules. It sounds, it sounds like we're not going to unpack that one. Um, <clears throat> let's get back to how you got sort of, sort of building demand for this thing. It sounds like initially it was just, there was no other place to get alcohol. So people would, were sort of almost forced to come to you. What is, is, is that still what you're relying on or, no, or are you like, right. you know, we kind of evolved with, the, with the times and now, um, and then, so in the beginning, maybe my customers were one third locals, one third folks staying overnight in the area and maybe one third people day tripping. I would say now we've evolved into where the majority of my folks, the folks visiting are day trippers. The region's growing rapidly and people see wineries as a way to get to know the local area. So it's pretty common that people come in and say, oh, we just moved here and we're wanting to get to know the area. And um, a lot of the, the hotel industry has evolved in my area quite a bit. And I'm sure this is true in other places that uh, we used to have bed and breakfast that would, you know, say a retired couple had a big old house and they would bake, make a breakfast for everybody. A lot of those places, those semi-retired folks have fully retired. And now we uh, folks have moved to more of the Airbnb model around me, which makes it more difficult for me to reach the overnight guests because they're spread out and a lot more sporadic. And and your but but uh, I'm trying to get like like what your distribution looks like is it still everyone coming to you and buying oh, a bottle or they're like no, wine clubs are you in stores or you uh-huh. no distribution is um, I'm not in distribution I'm I'm small I'm self distributing everything right here on the property um, in the in the wine industry the wholesalers have a lot they're the ones who make all the profits if you get into distribution and um, in my industry uh, it it's not worth trying to get on grocery shelves aisles and that sort of thing but but self-distribution means just i've got to go to your place to buy a bottle of wine there's no other way for me to get a bottle well and then we can sell online um, okay. I, okay. Yeah, I, I sell to a couple real local small businesses that might help me reach more uh tourists but just a couple small businesses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what kind of an operation do you have there is is it is the, the tasting room there on you know next to the vineyard is is it is it that sort of thing or do you got you've got some like retail in town uh i have a retail in town and it's a tasting room it happens at the vineyards in a separate location but right here uh, when people come in and taste they can tour around and see our winemaking area and during the week sometimes people are able to see us in action uh, we you know we're working we're bottling and making the wine and you know sometimes i feel like a monkey in the zoo <laughs> Because people come in 
and see us at work and um, and get engaged with us that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, people really enjoy uh, being close to where that stuff is made. Um, how big is sort of the area now from a wine? I'm guessing you were the first one. Uh, how, how many other, you know, vineyards like yours are there in the area? Uh, within my county, there's several. Uh, people are um, vary on how, uh, there's not any real big uh, vineyards, just a few acres here and there. But there's several places uh, that would, that present wine in a similar way that are more like wine bars. Um, mm-hmm. It's really interesting. You, uh, in, in a previous episode, you were talking to Alex and he said, whatever you do, don't do food. <laughs> and I try very hard to stay out of food service. I want to connect with people about wine, but I do not, I, I don't serve food on a regular basis. I'm not interested in being a restaurant. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Focus on, on the vices. That's probably where there's, there's more money. Uh, now let's, I, I like the little jabbing you did between Texas and California, but let's, I, I, I want some uh, intellectual honesty here. How does Texas wine uh, on average compare to say Californian or, or, you know, French or Italian? Uh, and please be honest with us. Okay. So there's over a thousand wineries in the state of Texas. So uh-huh. I um, only know a small portion of them. Um, and with that many people making that many wines, there's going to be some outstanding wines and there's going to be some less than outstanding wines. Uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to find a blend. I don't think you're going to find a Bordeaux wine. If I, if I meant, if I grow Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot and then say, this is just like a Bordeaux it is not going to compare to a Bordeaux in France. I agree with you, but it's all about, with, with, with growing grapes, it's all about trying to figure out what are the right varieties for this location. And, you know, sure, France and Italy, they all have an advantage on us because the Romans were figuring it out a few thousand years ago. But um, in California, a lot of the famous grape growing areas, the, the, it, you know, it was, it was spread by the Spanish explorers. When the, the Spanish explorers came up the Rio Grande and planted grapevines as well back in the 1500s, they never, the grapevines never grew very well. There's probably too much salt in the groundwater in the area of the Rio Grande. So we're, we're behind on figuring out the best varieties for the regions. But we look to hot weather places in Europe, such as Southern France and Italy, Spain, especially. And uh, wineries are experimenting with all kinds of varieties like Tempranillo and Alicante Boucher, all kinds of fun stuff. Are you finding yourself, uh, you know, for work reasons, you need to go to all these places and, you know, get smarter on, on, uh, on, on how this stuff is made? That is um, a terrific idea. But like everyone, <laughs> I work all the time. It's a very small business. I just have a couple employees. So it's not easy to get away for long stretches at a time. Uh, so, no, I haven't traveled near as much since uh, I started the business. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Really interesting. And talk to us like, you know, five, 10, 20 years down the road. What do you hope this thing becomes? You know, that's an interesting question. I'm already at uh, almost 19 years in business. And uh, sometimes it's hard for me to look that far out. Uh, right now, I, my, my son happens to be 11. And it's easy for me to mentally see that as long as he's here in school, we're in an area with great school systems. And everyone, I mean, like, most folks, I like to give my son some stability. So it's, it's easy for me to see being here for the next 10 years. Um, it, it's hard to imagine beyond that for me. 
Um, go ahead. No, no, thank you. Thank you. I hear you. It's, it's uh, sometimes easier to uh, just think about tomorrow. Um, all right. Last question. Uh, what I ask everybody, two-parter, uh, is there anything we as the community can do to, to help you and vice versa? What are you able to, uh, to, to offer to, to us, fellow alums? Uh, you know, I, I've been giving this a lot of thought. Like since our reunion, uh, I did the class. Have, have you heard of Aviva Wittenberg Cox? She does a class thriving to a hundred life's four quarters. She talks a lot about how, when you turn 25, when you turn 50, and then she really pushed it out and really expanded my imagination when you turn 75, like each one of those is a quartile and it's natural for us as humans to want to sort of reevaluate where we are and where we're going. And um, I am always available to people who are trying to think about what they want to do next. And um, for some reason, we all seem to think that uh, owning your own business is a, a glamorous life. Uh, if you really want well, what to. Can you, well, can you talk to that? Like, what's, what's the difference between what you expected and now what you've been dealing with for the last 19 years? I thought that I would make a lot more money. And I thought that I would hire <laughs> all the people to do all the stuff. And that part has it. Uh, come to fruition the way I expected. Uh, you know, I'm still cleaning the bathroom and doing all the bookkeeping myself. And uh, so if people want to know what it's really like to, to really be on your own, I think I can give you some, some, some look into that. Um, yeah, don't, don't go retiring and doing the coffee shop until you've hung out with someone doing the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> Point taken. That's well, and maybe that's a good uh, a good way to end this. June, um, thanks so so much for your time. Really, really nice catching up, and and uh, fun to hear about what you've been doing. Well, thank you for having me on. And like I said, come by, have a glass of wine. Um, doesn't cost much, and I'll give you free advice for a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a deal.